Welcome to the Fatty Z Muskie Podcast. I'm Andy. Joining the phone, as of right now, we have Vance. Hi, Vance. How you doing? I'm doing all right. Um, this is a little bit out of order. Uh, we're trying to be respectful of uh, some people's time. Uh, we have a pretty big name guest on the show. Um, we're going to get these plugs out of the way before we get him on. So, Thank you. Yep. Um, I wasn't talking about you. Um, but Todd's out, out fishing right now. I just got a picture that um, apparently uh, they got a double. I don't know if you saw that. I just literally got that. They uh, There's two in the net right now. So Nice. I mean, it could literally, as we were talking, they, they're releasing them. Um, but anyways, with that, this show is brought to you by Fatty Z Musky Products. FattyZMuskie.com is the website. I have done a little bit of work to the website, just a little bit. Um, I'm going to try to make my life easier with the website. Uh, big changes are not really noticeable. Uh, there is a new category there. Uh, as it sits right now, uh, only some people would know what it really is. Um, we'll probably early, early next week, uh, put a post out about it. I've already said on a teaser earlier this week, so it's nothing earth shattering, but with that rod holders, I've got really, really close to selling out of slants. So close. I was down to single digit inventory. But have no fear. I pulled a couple strings. I'm back in the black and um, back in the black. Yeah, you know, like the investment terms. Mm, okay, yeah. Is, isn't the black like good and red's bad? Yeah, I guess. So I'm back in the good. I'm not like ACDC over here. Um, That's what I took it as. Okay, but um, anyways, aside from that. There is uh, plenty of stock, plus there's going to be a whole boatload more here the coming week. So got close, but no cigar. I did get another shipment of tubes <laughs> in. What? I'm toasting the edges of my cigar right now. Okay, excellent. Um, the amazing smoking man, everyone. It's a Kristoff. It's fantastic. Okay. Mr. Fantastic, as we're hearing you light your cigar. I'm sorry. Get that thing lit already. I am. Okay. The Stugats, Tony Sobrano over here. That's okay. We got Big Baller over here. Um, Bait-wise, we're still working on some stuff. I, I don't know inventory of any of the other online shops, but Musky Tackle Online should have some. Also, check out Team Rhino. Uh, for online stuff, Hogan's Hut and O'Donnell's locally, if you're near us, have baits. I don't know how many baits they have left. I don't keep tabs on that regularly. But they did get, you know, some shipments at some point in the last, well, Hogan's did in the last month. But Yeah, they did. All right. About half, halfway full. About halfway full. Look at the, the yeah. optimism there. Um, but rod holders, you know, if you have any questions about setups, I mean, it's going hard late into the summer. Uh, it usually dies off by now, but people are still setting up their rigs. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me. And that's it for me. Now we're going to be talking to Muddy Creek, Muddy Creek Fishing Guides, mcfishandguides.com. Uh, give us a call. 
I am booked for the rest of the season. Uh, I know Todd's close to that as well. And if you want to come out in August uh, for those evening hours where apparently you can get a double, uh, which is very, very possible, um, give us a call. We're going to be out all August from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. Um, if you want to get on the books and get out for some evening casting, anything like that, give us a call. Um, I have opened up my 2021 books on and dates are already filling for that. So if you know when you're coming up, um, just give us a buzz and we'll get you out there and get you on some fish. Uh, it's been a fantastic year, um, up here and, uh, it's Chautauqua Lake world-class. So check us out, uh, give us a call. Um, if you come fishing with us, you'll be fishing out of Ranger Boats. Big shout out to Ranger Boats. Big shout out to Vic Sports Center in Kent, Ohio. Um, check them out for service and all your boating needs. Starcraft, Star Welds, uh, Triton Boats now, service, all that stuff. Also, St. Croix Rods. Check them out. Best Rods on Earth. Uh, loving the trolling series. We love the casting series as well. We've all had our big dogs for years and years now and they're not broken on us so check them out um that's it for me that's it for you okay uh muskies inc really important i mean we've covered it recently with the stocking efforts from the fish commission at least in our great state of pennsylvania um and jared even you know brought forth the amount of money that muskies inc has raised from our local chapters to assist them um they're not going to replace your state agency. Your state is your state, but you can have a helpful voice and, uh, you know, guiding and, you know, possibly make by guiding decision-making, not actually like going out and fishing guiding, but, um, decision-making, you can have a, a nice input, a nice voice, some, you know, collective data. It's, it's a great thing. Uh, local chapters, you know, they hold low, you know, tournaments for their clubs and, you know, it's, it's a nice camaraderie. Um, I know a lot of stuff's been crazy this year and, you know, I don't see it slowing down this year, but, um, or I should say the remainder of the season, hopefully things get back on track next year. But like with any nonprofit right now, uh, they're hurting. And if you can, uh, you know, join and be a member to help keep these, uh, nonprofits afloat. You know, these things are, uh, important, you know, musky fishing probably wouldn't be where it's at if it wasn't for muskies Inc., and that's about covers it for right now. I'm going to be uh, getting someone on the phone. You guys will know who it is by the heading of this podcast. So give us a second. All right. And uh, we're back. And we have Pete Main on the phone. Hey, Pete, how are you? I'm great. I'm enjoying summer, guys. How are you? Oh, we're doing just fine and dandy. Um, summer? Yeah, we're doing ducky. How about that? Uh, ducky. Ducky. Uh, so kind of a crazy turn of events recently. You know, there's been a lot of discussion uh, of water temperature and stuff. And, you know, I had Pete's number saved in my phone from a few years back. Uh, there were some dealings that we did. And you, you texted me out of the blue talking about a podcast episode that we did with uh, Kevin Jobs a couple years ago, um, 2018. Uh, about water temperature, and you made a comment. It sparked up dialogue between us, and next thing you know, we're here. And you know, and kind of 
talking before the show, you, you had some stuff you wanted to bring up about that. Um, so what's, what's your thoughts on the water temperature stuff? Yeah, just I, I thought it was really good. It was chaired because obviously we had a real hot spell here uh, in, in June. And uh, at least in our area, I don't know about in yours, but it's uh, the worst well, I've ever seen. I don't think I'd ever. Yeah, I've never seen it before, uh, you know, steadily in the 80s for uh, for two weeks. We just basically don't get that. So I, it was a big topic and there were a lot of a lot of dead fish showing up. And, and so it was talked about a lot. And you're that podcast got shared and I, I was just real busy and i didn't watch it till a week or so ago and i thought it was interesting and a real good job because there was p- perspective from guide standpoints and dealing with it and a lot of really good information the biologist offered up and uh, so just uh, the one the one thing that that i i guess i'd like to concentrate most on because it's been something i've talked about for years and years and i'm I'm semi-responsible, I guess, for this 80 mark that that you hear about quite a bit. Because when I, you know, I talked about it years ago, brought it up in Esox Angler Magazine, and then a lot of people ask you what, you know, what do you think? What's your thoughts? And I would just let them know what I I personally was doing. That the 80 mark was always the I'm not fishing anymore uh, for me, in in dealing with my my guide nears and everything else. And then I would just basically tell people to be more careful in in the mid to upper upper seventies range when I'd try and answer that question. But the one thing that gets you know really really confusing and you hate to see, and of course you know everybody's got different opinions and they and, and they get to get to arguing to a certain extent. I mean uh, the the single biggest thing I could ever say about the heat issue is it's 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 observation and just trying to do your best job. There is no magic mark for anybody, and there's probably different fisheries. And of course, you can find a 80 degree temperature on the surface on a calm day, and it's not even that. There's a million different things you could talk about, but. Uh, there's no, there's no set level. I, I think that's a personal, personal thing where people set it. I, to a certain extent, for people that are fishing every day, they can probably sense when they're getting there by watching the fish's reactions if they're getting some fish. I mean, that's how I found out about it. I, I just you notice when they're, and the hotter the water gets, they don't release well, and then you actually have one die. And I had a I had a few cases of delayed mortality where I knew I found my own fish floating. So there, I guess there's no hard soft or <laughs> no hard rules with a water temperature point where you should just not fish, and then it's okay to fish. That's the that's the part that scares me the most about the discussion. Let's say so, it, and by that I mean okay, you decide that that you're like Pete and you're and you're going to stop fishing after eighty. Well, you know, easy easy to say, but then all of a sudden at at seventy nine, it's okay, <laughs> and then you just start fishing. My my point is it should be a gradual concern, and people should just be aware to to change, you know, change the way they deal with fish. If they, if they do choose to fish, I'm not going to beat anybody over the head for fishing when the water temp's 81. I just really hope they're being really, really careful. 
and and your whole handling routine. Me personally, I'm I, I'll go barbless, and I won't take hold up pictures. You know, if if I do push the envelope on on water temperatures, leave the leave the precise measuring out of the picture. You know, that's something that's that's pretty common these days. But it's extra handling, and it's definitely extra time out of the water. So that's. That's what I would just like to stress on that whole topic more than anything. I don't know anything about the science of it, to be real honest. I'm embarrassed when I first started talking about this years ago, and I I knew it was a factor, but I didn't know the science behind it. I just know I got fish dying, and I'm concerned. I don't want that to happen. In those days, it was lactic acid buildup. Everybody talked about that, so of course I regurgitated a little bit and some articles too. Oh, they're lactic acid, acid buildup. They're dying. Well, I didn't really know that. Now you hear dissolved oxygen, you hear potassium, you hear all these different things. There's people a lot smarter than me that could probably explain it better. And there's, there can be arguments back and forth, but all I know is, is hot water is a killer gradually. And the things that stress the fish out and seem to have the ability to kill them are cumulative. So if you, you know, if you want to hold the fish out of the water and measure it in the boat and take a whole bunch of pictures, you're, you're, you may not get by with a real hot water fish where if you just really minimized everything from fight time to photo taking, no measuring, that fish may survive. I just think it's a the the best way to look at it and not really try and beat anybody over the head, but just keep that message out there to be more aware of mm-hmm. safer handling the warmer the water gets. And you and you say you're not smarter than these scientists and things like that, but you know what happens at your feet and you came up with this theory as every fisherman does. You know what's happening on the water at that point. You said this fish is having trouble kicking off right now. Um, oh, yeah. Right. And you figured that out on your own in the field. And that's, I think, is like a big, not like a headbutting thing, but it's, you know, from fisherman to scientist, uh, that that separation there is uh, is this is this giant gray area of of what they know with numbers and what we know in the field. Um, and I think that's how you came up with that. And I think that that is a, a, a great point. You know, you see, you see how the fish reacts when you, when you bring it in and you net it and you take these pictures and then you go to release it and it's not doing too well. Um, and then maybe you catch the next one and you release it in the water and shoots off to the bottom. No problem. So you have figured these things out in the field on your specific body of water that you're fishing. And that is a, that's a, that's another giant gray area with all this that I wish we had scientific evidence for, but you know, 75 degrees in Wisconsin, Minnesota is completely different than 75 degrees on the East coast here on these inland bodies. Um, right. And that's where it's just like, and I don't know, honestly, when, I'm out here on Chautauqua every day and we started the, we started the season in the seventies, you know, and it, and, and it just, it kind of 
musky season kind of lives from 70 to 80 degrees up here, you know, natural lake. But we certainly know when it's shut off time because of what happened at our feet. And to have such a concrete um, number that is casted with a broad brush uh, is, is so tough. And we go through this every summer, you know, and it, it, the, the musky industry does. And it's just, right. it's, it's tough uh, mentally for, for the fishermen of, of what to do, what not to do. And especially for the people that are just getting into fishing, um, you know, it's just, it's just tough. Sometimes they take it as gospel. Um, but I think a really good point that you made is the handling aspect in the certain situation that you're in, if you are catching them, uh, I think that's absolutely imperative to to concentrate on, um, and that's awesome. Yeah, that, yeah. I, mean, I would think it would make a, a difference. In you know, I don't. I've fished at Taco. I've caught fish there, but I was only there in September a couple times, so it wasn't hot. I, I I would think where they get used to warmer water temperatures over at all that. That's just common sense. I would think maybe that the actual limit where they start to have a problem mm-hmm. uh, could be could be certainly higher. But the observation is the most important thing. I mean, that's that's honesty. That's the real deal. And I just when I you know first experienced it in the in the early '80s, where I got into the '80s, and I I just I felt I felt horrible. It was really the only time I can remember getting that getting that hot and seeing what i say but but you know in your heart if you're doing the right thing i mean every every stinking release then that i had thankfully there weren't that many and and that's when it really you know started getting to me it was like you know i i didn't i didn't feel good about i wasn't absolutely pot normally i you know that fish is gonna make you know unless it's a bleeder or something you're you know when you got a good release and i mm-hmm. I, I just me personally, I detest the feeling of, and, and it gets way more complicated with guiding and everything else. And I was doing that then, and I understand that. But I detest the feeling of, you know, thinking the fish might not have made it or worse off, you know, probably didn't make it. That sucks. That kind of takes the fun <laughs> out of it for me. Yeah. That's a terrible feeling. I, I like how, you know, there's coming out of the woodwork a little bit here is that like the virtue signaling of the 80 degrees. And if you do it over 80, you're, um, you're a demon and all this stuff. Whereas, you know, hopefully it it gets to like, kind of like what Pete and what we've been talking about is a little bit of personal responsibility. You know, if, you know, a whole host of factors and we, we've talked about this a lot, do what you feel is right. If you can fish three days a week, maybe cut it back, you know, just, be personally responsible and be self-conscious that what you do can have an impact there. Responsibility. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, absolutely. And this, and I can just say, I, I think Pete, Pete agrees and everybody agrees that 2020 sucks. And this has been the hottest summer I've ever remembered when it was, when it was a couple of weeks ago, just absolutely Unbelievable oh, temperatures. Man. Yeah, it sucked. <laughs> yeah, it was terrible. It was terrible. All right, Pete. Let's. Uh, 
I'm really curious to hear the story of Pete. Like, when did you get into fishing? Like, when did you kind of know this was your thing? And who was involved in your life? And how, how was everything shaped? I mean, give us give us the story. Yeah, so you want the whole story. Well, let's wow. start at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, believe it or not, a lot of people don't know this. If they read the Muskie Suck book, they do, but otherwise they don't. But I was born in Chicago, and my parents did the greatest thing ever and got me the hell out of there when I was six months old. <laughs> and they bought a resort uh, in Hayward, Wisconsin. Now, to all you, uh, if there's Bear fans or Chicago people listening, I'm sorry. Don't take it personally. I don't mean, I've, Met a lot of tremendous people from Chicago, guided a lot of you, a lot of good folks. But me personally, I'm damn happy I got out of there. Just to say, <laughs> I kind of like the country and I like fishing. Are you but, a cheesehead? Uh, <laughs> anyway, I, uh, I I literally grew up on a fishing resort uh, on a chain of lakes here in Hayward. And that's all resorting was in those days. These days, there's kind of recreational stuff you do too. But this was all fishing. And but but to be real honest, I you know, and I I suspect you guys are all the same way. I don't know you know exactly where you grew up and how much you had an opportunity to fish. But I think you're wired that way. And we can we can flash forward about uh, I don't know. Well, I don't even want to say how many years, but it's over fifty. Uh, a little girl, I was fishing with my dad, Tex, uh, three days ago, and we saw a little girl standing on a dock that I suspect is wired just like I was. Dad was working, and this little girl had a tackle box and stuff out on the dock there, and she was fishing. And, I mean, she was after it all on her own. And it was the neatest thing, and frankly, that's the best way to describe me way back then. And I, you know, I got a, I got a start. It was mainly dock fishing at first, but I, I was just always wired crazy about it. And uh, and I'd get out in a rowboat, and uh, the only thing that really drove me nuts, I could barely fish with my dad because he was busy running the resort, and he guided as well, and. I, I cherish those times, but I hardly got an opportunity to fish with him at all. But believe me, if I was in trouble in my early years, it was because I was fishing when I was supposed to be doing something else. Oh, <laughs> I thought you were like getting on the boat and rowing out there so they couldn't get you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that uh, that's, that's really my... Uh, my deal. That's uh, your childhood. And, and obviously, you'll probably have another question or two for me, and we, and we can go through more stages. But I, I had my first guide job out of that resort at 11 years of age, and guess what? Just luck at the time. Boy, muskies really came hard in those days. We still killed them all. And, and uh, but, but believe it or not, a client got one, and a huge one in those days, because there was a 32-inch size limit, so you hardly ever caught one over 36. And this was a 42-incher. And, of course, we did the right thing, and, and we killed it. And everybody <laughs> that was an adult, I, we brought it into the resort. The whole, re, the whole resort got drunk, and I got a pocket knife as a, as a guide tip. And I thought, man, a little light bulb went on, and I thought, this is a pretty neat deal. 
It was That's it was that... always always good to parade around the carcass and get a knife. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so this resort, this was like your parents' deal. This was like we're moving out and we're gonna run this for a living. Yeah, and and you yep. just pretty much, I mean, you, you kind of fell into this hog heaven that the job is to fish and catch fish, and so you're out there guiding at eleven years old. And do you remember what bait that guy caught that on? Oh, I remember it all very vividly. And and I was actually a replacement. Uh, one of the guides <laughs> that my dad Scab. had hired, who Lord knows, but he didn't show up. And, uh, you know, he says, well, my kid's got a strong back, and he actually knows a spot or two. And, uh, you know, in those days you rode. And it was interesting because this fish hit a, a bobbing eddy bait. I got a backlash. It was real windy. I was on a windy spot. I can remember it like crazy because I'm trying to hold. He's trying to get the backlash out. Didn't want to get the line stuck in my oars, you know, in the, in the water. So I was a big man. I'm thinking, when is this guy going to get the damn backlash out? I'm rowing, rowing, rowing. <clears throat> he finally gets it out. This muskie had to be looking at that eddy bait bobbing in the waves. The instant he moved it, when he finally got the backlash out, the fish hit. And... uh and and we got it. So was this like that. like a direct drive one to one reel, like the old timer reels? So it was oh, a yeah. it was a miracle that it was even hooks were set and that he even landed it. Oh yeah, yeah, it was a Fluger Supreme or something like that. You know, that's what they had in those days. And uh, and 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 frankly, talking about my dad real quick though, you know, I that. That was why I got out of Chicago. Now he was he was he was born and raised in Chicago and uh, had uh, had started a family a little earlier than planned. Uh, and and my uh, my older brother was born and he had an opportunity to get up north quite a bit. And he was just dying to do it, but he you know he had a he had a kid and uh, another one on the way, so he was he was out of college and actually working as a lather is what they called him back then, the precursor to drywall. He was making pretty good money down in Chicago, but he came home from a union meeting after, you know, telling telling my mom that he really wanted to move up north because he liked hunting and fishing. And and he came home mad from a from a meeting and said, We're going and not that much longer. They bought a resort twenty years of age, by the way. That's a pretty big thing to take on, you know. Oh, without a doubt. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and but like that's why we moved up north because my dad, you know, was literally wired to hunt and fish, even though he was raised a city boy. You know. Now, did he did he do this like on the weekends and stuff? Go hunting and fishing on the weekends, or he just did it once with grandpa? His dad, yeah, his dad would take him up north once in a while. My grandfather, uh, my grandfather was an attorney, believe it or not. And, uh, but, but that's what he did when he did vacation. Okay. And he'd go north and I forget the, some of the stories are pretty cool. You know, the three day train rides and stuff like that to get up north. Actually, they went to the upper peninsula, uh, quite a bit. He had a spot up there. He liked hmm. you know, uh, Capone used to do that too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Honestly. Exactly. Honestly, there's there's stories of Capone going up north to muskie fish. I didn't know that. Oh yeah. Yeah, he's a he was a Chicago gangster and he would 
hide away up in the woods. Maybe who knows? Maybe he was at that lodge. We won't disclose that. Oh gosh! Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> to go and musty fish. Uh, how how long did the did the resort stay stay your parents? Oh, they only ran it eleven years. Actually, the year after that guy job story, uh, they they sold it. He he was wore out by it. Because okay. uh, he, you know, it was it was only like five cabins, and you know, if you if you're gonna make money, you had to do all the work. So he was the plumber, the bartender, the guide, the construction. You know, twenty four seven. Yeah, yeah, and uh, so he had had enough. Yeah. And so in in those days, uh, you know, in in reality, if he had it all to do over again, he would have been better off waiting, because uh, things continued to that trend. But he partially just took it from a financial standpoint too because it, it it had appreciated quite a bit from when he bought it mm-hmm. and uh it was a, probably 10 years later we started to see the trend in real estate around here where there there used to be tons and tons of resorts and then they you know people realized they could make a heck of a lot more money breaking them up and selling cabbage individually and stuff like that so that's that's what started happening after <laughs> But that's how you, that as well. that's how you were brought up, though. I mean, you were brought up fishing via that oh, yeah. resort. Yes. So if that never yeah. happens, then maybe you don't fall in love with it like that. That's it's, that's an awesome right. story. We could be. And were you yeah. were you literally eleven years old taking a boat out? Oh yeah. Yeah, that was nothing. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> with paying that's clients. Awesome. Yeah. That's the funny thing. <laughs> Here's some hey, irresponsible oh, yeah, enough. <laughs> going out with this young man. He's Yeah, he could run a motor. That was, that was it. <laughs> if he could row, if he had strong enough to row, you know. And then, and I had a full-time job on that same lake, even though we didn't live there anymore. I'd, I'd ride my bicycle. My summer job was guiding at a, at a resort there. They had, they had big business, and uh, you know, I was I was pretty good, and and uh, and and again, back was even stronger at fourteen, and oh, gosh. Uh, yeah, I I started guiding guiding there, and we might as well go, you know, Let's continue through, on uh, the higher education time frame at that point. So now I, you know, I'm I'm doing good. I'm loving it. I'm I'm absolutely wired. I want to catch more fish than everybody else and, and did did pretty good and, and 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 the guiding was good i'd like to you know i liked the tips i loved what i was doing and uh and and then college stuff you know senior year i was supposed to go to college believe it or not i know this is shocking to most people but i was actually fairly intelligent in high school i got pretty good grades i was supposed to go to college Actually, had picked out everybody. Told me it was a wonderful idea. Of course, I decided to fish. I thought I don't want to go do that. I like this fishing, and mm-hmm. so a lot of a lot of people like to ask me what my plan was. But I, I can very honestly say there was none. I wanted <laughs> to fish, and I wanted to be able to either i shouldn't say i wanted to i realized i had to also make a living the way my dad had raised me so i did a lot of other odd jobs too i did you know that's that's one thing when you young people ask me you know how do you do how do i make a living fishing well 
it's a lot of work and <laughs> you don't just do it don't quit your day job and don't don't forget about everything else in life because you know back then i mean i you know i i bartended i shoveled crap i if somebody wanted me to rake something or build something or i trawled concrete you name it i did it to make extra money as well on top of the on top of the fishing but i you know, frankly, over the years, when I when I think back on it, I was amazingly blessed because I I was able to start making my living full time uh, by my late twenties already. I, I I could quit doing everything else I did, and now it was guiding, and I was starting to. People were asking me to do seminars, which was just absolutely shocking to me at first. Why they want me to come and talk about it and then they'd actually give me a little money to do that and uh and uh you know write, writing some articles and stuff like that was uh, starting at that point so uh you know i had uh, the first the first 10 years was was hard uh but i was doing what i really like to do and and fishing 16 hours a day and and uh yeah by the time i was 28 i i literally could drop all the other odd jobs and stuff and I've I've made a living in the fishing industry technically ever since. I love that story. Yeah, I, I think that the part that a lot of people overlook was and, and, and you hit on it briefly was the amount of other labor that you had to do before all the gear started to mesh. Like, I mean, oh, you, you yeah. glanced over it real quick. You know, you might have been milking cows one day, framing a house, you know, whatever, concrete work, roofing, mufflers, any any of that stuff. There's a lot of suckiness that goes through all that stuff to keep the passion alive. And, uh, I oh, mean, yeah. I, I just think that, that, that that's a really cool part. And I'm glad you didn't gloss over it too fast, but th- that's that's really neat how it took you a decade plus to get that to where you don't have to rely on that anymore. And once you kind of got beyond that stage, like what were you doing? You were, were you guiding? Were you running over, you know, your own little resort? What, when did you say I can quit all this other stuff? Well, it was just, uh, 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 monetary decision uh, essentially i i had been blessed enough to get enough opportunities i guess to make money in in different ways by then i had the you know i had the side winter job and that kind of which was actually working for my brother in a in a sawmill you know which i which actually kind of like doing i i i like my brother uh both of them <laughs> unlike a lot of families we all get along great we're, we're great friends and uh but uh, but I literally had to uh, had to give that give that up just because I couldn't do much. I was getting a few oppor- more opportunities to uh, ice guide and stuff like that. But in those days, you know, it's kind of going back the opposite way now. But in those days, the sports show thing was a big thing, and and there were ten day shows, and there were and I was I was like one of the young up and comers, so I could go do these shows and, and, uh, and sell my guide service and actually get paid to speak. And, uh, panel discussions were a big thing in those days. 
and and I had I had gained enough notoriety that I would be included on a lot of these panel discussions and and it was you know half halfway decent money and and of course it helped build your brand when you're at some of these major sports shows and and uh, so you know it, it it got to the point where two you couldn't necessarily say at that point that I'm for sure going to make more money than I would have if I'd have just worked in the mill because they paid me pretty good but. But then I, I, I could see the light bulb had gone on that I could really make a living with this, and I've been fortunate. I've, I've done well. I've got an opportunity here now. TV opportunities are opening up, and, and, and I, I'm able to get out there in front of people, and I can further build a brand uh, in the fishing industry. So I threw the chainsaw down. By the way, I should say I didn't really mention that. I did an amazing amount of logging. You guys would be amazed if you knew how many trees I cut down in my time. And uh, I actually, as a side business, did a tree-falling, troubled trees. I had a resort that hired me just because I was cheap. They had had trees hanging all over. And your job was to cut them down. My job was to rope them, you know, climb up a ladder, rope them, pull them down, whatever I had to do, make sure they don't land on cabins. And I, I actually uh, was going to start that business at one point because I, you know, heck, people were, oh, who's this guy that does this for you? And I, I started seeing dollar signs with that whole deal. But then I checked uh, in on insurance. Somebody said, oh, you might need to be insured, and I looked into that. And I didn't like the price of that, so I kind of went back to the fishing <laughs> <direction>. <laughs> Man, I mean, yeah, the stuff can go bad real quick when you're dropping trees because there ain't no change in direction when it's going the wrong way. No, once it makes up its mind and, and gravity gets a good grip, yeah, yeah, you're you're in trouble. You're in trouble. <laughs> so, okay, so sh- shows are blowing up. You know, how did you work into your first TV show? Like, how, how, describe that process. Did did you like? I'm going to do this, or did someone approach you? Uh, first TV show was actually ESPN Lonnie Stanley. I can't remember the name of the show, uh, but that let's that that would be more just guiding uh, prowess. I, I I did really well. I got known as kind of the guy as Muskie out of this. This Ross's Lodge was really big biggest resort probably in the whole area and they had some pretty high dollar clientele and if you know it it had gotten to the point where it was if somebody was after musky it was you know they were set up with the long-haired kid and a few people were pretty amazed by that by the way i got i had i had one guy turn around and walk away he didn't he he saw me saw the hair i had i had blonde hair you know down to my butt and uh yeah he turned around walked back up to the to the resort office and complained that set me up with this young kid with a bunch of hair how the hell could he ever catch a muskie kind of thing but uh i'm i'm probably getting way 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 off track here no i love this no we enjoy that we enjoy hearing that That, that's great uh yeah so did the guy end up turning around and going with you or were you sat on the bench he for the did, day. He did, actually, and I felt under extreme pressure, but then he caught a fish. You know, it's one of those beautiful stories. I mean, I, I guided him until he died after that. Oh, okay. But he, uh, yeah, 
yeah, we became friends. He caught a muskie and, you know. Was he bald? Was he bald? (laughs) Was he jealous of your hair? Was he bald? Well, you know what? He, no, no, he wasn't. He He wasn't when I think about it. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> Long-haired freaky people need not apply. Sign says. Yeah. Yeah, but that's so. This all goes. This all started with the TV show deal, right? That, that's how we got into the hair. And all yes. That. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Okay. So, so that you know, it had just built up as I was the musky guy, and apparently this uh, this Lonnie Stanley had wanted to go up north and do a, a musky show. And that kind of through, you know, Ross's Ross's Lodge and my reputation. That's how how it showed up there. And uh, and and yeah, we went out and did a musky show, and it was uh, it was basically a, a complete failure because <laughs> Lonnie it was it was very highly uh, highly produced to a certain extent, and big crew and all. It was really kind of interesting but they while they had me with him there was other people that needed to be involved from sponsors it was really kind of a weird deal but he had he had an opportunity for three muskies actually and he was waiting before he set the hook of course i don't even know this guy and i'm apprehensive i'm believe it or not shy i'm scared shitless i'm on tv and and these things are you know and i wanted to scream at him my god and what i knew when he didn't set the hook He's like, oh, you just set them right away? He's like, yeah, 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 you don't let them really hold on to it, Lonnie. And he did that <laughs> a few more times. And Anyway, and he was a real nice guy, so nobody should take that wrong. But but then a sponsor needed to be in the boat, and I was in the other boat. And here's a funny story I love, because, uh, you know, they said, well, if you get a muskie, you gotta you got to bring it over here. So I'm with, with another buddy, and I'm like, well, what are we going to do here? So I... Of course, as soon as I'm out of the camera boat, I catch a muskie, about a 37, I believe it was. And again, in those days, wasn't too bad of a fish, I guess. But so they want him to catch it on on film, and it kind of goes back to the heat discussion we had earlier. It wasn't super hot or anything like that, but this fish had already fought, right? Mm-hmm. I had no idea what was going on, and well, anyway, it was the stupidest damn thing. I don't think they ever used it. So here they. He, to his credit, he didn't really want to do it. They were like beating on him to do it, you know. And he's like, "Oh, I don't know." And, but anyway, the poor bastard. So he threw me the lure, and I hooked the fish up and live. Well, I dropped the, I dropped the fish in the water. Then the camera people holler at me, "Hey, get the hell out of the shot!" I'm like, "Wait a minute, I, I just got to caught the fish." But anyway, the the poor fish was exhausted, and, you know, poor Lonnie, he set the hook and jumped around and said, I got a muskie, and he's screaming and hollering and jumping, and and the damn thing was half dead. And it, it, it shook its head once <laughs> as it got up to the boat. Looked like he, you know, looked like a towel, basically. So <laughs> I, don't, I don't think they ever made a show out of it. So. <laughs> How do you rate his, uh, his acting, like, because that that would be that's all acting at that point, when, when you have to pretend that's that you caught that acting. fish. Did he do a good job selling it? <laughs> I I hate to tell you this because I like the guy, uh, but I think he had a little practice. Okay. I think I think that oh, had man. been done before. But 
you could tell uh, it's it's body language again back to how how you read read fish when we're talking about that topic of how they're doing well well he he read his fish and realized it was basically looking dead and then you could see the you could see the level of effort start backing off on his acting he was kind of like oh man this damn fish is dead i don't know what I'm do. i love these stories yeah that's beautiful these are gold so that was your first tv appearance or you know first yeah. filming I, like i think you kept saying that it you don't know if it even made the did they do the show or they just cut the fish out i i think it i think it aired and i think they i i, I honestly don't remember you know the, for sure but i i well i know something aired and i don't know how much they used to the fish but the fish was lame i was I did what I was told. I was, you know, off to the side, but it, it had to be horrible video. I mean, uh, you know, there's no way anybody with half a brain would look at it and say this is a freshly caught fish. I mean, he, you know, right. he already fought once and bounced across the lake, you know. I mean, do you, yeah. Do you think that still goes on in TV today? No. No, that, I, think, I think people might, you know, fudge lures and, stupid crap like that and mm-hmm. but i i you know i i don't know how you how you do that well at least you never could with a muskie from what i i, I can't imagine you'd ever get a legitimate looking fight maybe they do on bass and stuff. i've i've heard some crazy stuff and i've i've gotten in a lot of trouble over the years i'm, I'm actually kind of proud of this but uh you know there's a lot of things with regard to sponsorships of un- unfortunate part of making a living to a certain extent in the fishing industry and and there's a lot of there's a lot of requests that go on that are that are frankly quite bullshit and i can i can proudly say that i've i've never done anything that i'm embarrassed of i've uh i have turned down opportunities i've found out where stuff was going to be staged uh they actually expected you to hold up other people's fish uh, you know, or the fish were already there, or if somebody else caught one and they wanted a picture with you, because we need to get this shit done, right? You know, we're going to have a four-hour shoot. We're going to get all our pros done. And when I found out what was actually going on, then I said, well, you won't be taking any pictures of me. And that, uh, So a lot of that stuff has happened, probably more so than a lot of people realize. And I believe there's most likely less and less of it these days, I would think. Uh, but I would think yeah, people I, I, have a heightened BS meter nowadays with, with the yeah. internet and all that stuff. I, I think you're right, but no. it's, it's, it's interesting because I can just envision like that, that first TV show and like what you're seeing behind the scenes, enormous over the shoulder video cameras, Big giant yep. lead cell batteries, trying to film this and just less than standard definition, and that yep. was that was great yep. back then. That's what people lived for. You had like one fishing show a week on you know local TV, and that's pretty incredible, right. Pete. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's, that's pretty incredible for you to to because uh, there there really was not musky television back then. And maybe you're the start of it. 
you know, to, to get this going. And you're already saying, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not cool with that. We're not doing it that way. I oh like yeah. No, I never, yeah, I never was a fan of that. And, uh, and I know, uh, there'll, there'll be no names mentioned, but, uh, you know, there, there were some pretty standard procedures and I actually got advice from a, uh, big name guy flat out on the way to doing a seminar. I, I just started musky mania tackle company. And basically the advice was to, if, if next time I get a big fish, I should just kill it and then hang the lures, my, my different lures in its mouth and go take pictures. So you'd get it over with, you'd change clothes and, and take pictures with the different lures and you know i mean that was literally with a guy listening which i couldn't believe uh that was that was told to me and there there were practices like that and i'm you know and i'm kind of like well i i think i'd rather just wait and actually catch a different one rather than <laughs> well, I mean, you, you got you, you can't argue with the simplicity of like, well, just do it all right now, and then you don't have to do it later. I mean, right. I'm not saying it's good, right. but it's it, there's a little bit hey, of a logic there. Kill that fish and yeah. put this lure in it, and then that lure, and everything will be good. Yeah. Bring your carry-on yeah. suitcase yeah. full of clothing and. <laughs> that's such right. an interesting perspective well i you know i hate to tell you people would be people would be surprised about about some of it and that that goes back to fish handling of course it, I, I guess in a way it's more humane to just beat them over the head if you plan on doing that but that's the practice has been done with fish uh uh to be released as well they they probably go back in the live well when the clothes changing is going on but uh yeah it's uh it's no that's that's a i mean i think we're well aware of it on the three of us on this show but it it's definitely oh. nice to bring that to light and uh <laughs> from somebody who was on the forefront but, of this television yeah you production. yeah you just things you the, the, the things you see in the process of all of the filmings and stuff but i guess uh <laughs> I mean, how do you think that I stay booked up every day? You know, I have to drag that fish around all week, and you know, it's <laughs> take different sides, make different scars on it. It's it's tough well, being in a gun. <laughs> guiding, guiding, you don't get away with that, and uh, you know, and I that that's always been my advice to people too. It's like you know what, anybody with a brain is gonna if you're full of shit, people are oh gonna my figure God. you out. I mean, they'll sense it. I mean, good, smart people just sense it right away. They can, you know, they know in the first five minutes, I think. But, uh, yeah, you don't, you don't get away with that kind of stuff forever, you know. It's, uh, it's yeah, whatever. Yeah, we it's should get inter- on a more uh, it, it, No, it's, topic. no, I think that's, I think that's interesting to say because, uh, you know, our, uh, audience has, has never really uh, heard anything from that perspective from you know being on television and and all the all the all the things you you've done it's it's uh even at a greater scale there's still some bs that wants to be put put in your face and it's cool to see you just be like yeah 
dude, I'm not not interested in uh, in doing that. So I think it's great. So oh, yeah, yeah, and then and then I I've always had kind of a general rule, I guess, with the sponsorship stuff. If I if if there's no way in heck I'd I'd uh, go buy it with my own money, I sure in the hell ain't gonna talk about it. And unfortunately, that's a uh, that's not often the case either, and that's that that's been surprising and a little disappointing over the years when they, the you know there there's literally been some cases where a company knows its pro- product is crap and they still want you to, you know, say go buy that trolling motor or whatever the you know it's like yeah well I, <laughs> that's great what about the poor slob that just spent two thousand dollars because Pete said. Hey, go guys! <laughs> like when we and now he hates Pete. Yeah. Unless he's an idiot, he hates Pete. <laughs> That's like that that one video you did with our with our rod holders, and you were like, "These are great," but then you had that extra uh, deleted scene in the movie of you throwing them in the in the water. <laughs> I was wondering where you're going with that one, man. <laughs> yeah, I was too. I'm like, man. <laughs> These are great. Go buy them. Next thing, kerplunk. <laughs> <laughs> These are great kayak anchors. <laughs> That's yeah, fun. No, those are good rod holders. See, I would, I would actually tell anybody that. Yeah. Yeah. We appreciate that. So you're still guiding. You you have a little TV spot, and when do you kind of quit guiding and kind of pick up more of being like this? I don't know, center stage guy. Yeah, uh, that was uh, probably I hit that stage at the the end of the nineties. Okay. Uh, it was just there was there was literally too much going on. I had my lure company, Musky Mania Tackle, which I started in uh, '91 and uh, and 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 sold ten years ago. Uh, that that was going. My guiding was going crazy, and and uh, everything was going crazy. That was kind of the peak to me of the like the old the old fashioned fishing industry, I guess, to a certain extent. Things are totally different now uh with youtube and social media and everything i mean i don't know and then technology so amazing lord knows where where things are going next but that was you know it was still kind of the 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 peak of tv cable tv was still the only thing there right to a to a certain extent and you know and there was obviously you know the 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 al enders and the babe winkelmans and you know i'm and, and you know there there was there, there was just a handful of full of TV people and the sports shows were still big and everything was just just really kind of busy and humming and I was in a in a fortunate you know position uh, and and Joel Booker had started uh, you know Muskie Hunter by then and got got that going on so there was getting you know there was getting to be a lot more press on 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 musky and attention on musky than i think than i think ever before it almost seemed like that kind of was hitting a peak then too i guess it really wasn't a peak technically i think it's still growing uh significantly but but that really you know that that really all came together i think uh you know a, a, 
a bit more musky TV and the and the Musky Hunter magazine and that and that whole thing that that went on there. Uh, you know, all all of that was coming together, and I just I just got to the point where I couldn't do it all, and I was getting more and more TV opportunities. John Gillespie had started his show. I met him in '92. I filmed the first show with him uh that he ever filmed and i started filming with him ever since on that that was probably the single biggest lucky thing that i just stumbled upon in my career because his show just became a absolute monster quite quickly uh and uh, you know and and that that led to even more notoriety and then when bass pro shops started opening uh, northern stores the first one that opened next thing you know they were knocking on my door saying hey we want to we want a musky pro guy and we want to have a musky rod and reel and blah 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 so that opportunity came along as well and uh eventually i just didn't have you know i, I didn't have time to guide anymore and you you're booked the other problem i had was i'd I was booked a year in advance all the time, and I would obviously want to take advantage of any television opportunities I had because it was a little more notoriety and building building a brand. And, and so if, you know, I had a good television opportunity, I'd be in the situation of calling a client who's been booked for years and saying, I know you sent a deposit. I know you've been waiting a year, but, but sorry, I want to do this TV thing more than guide you. And, you know, and I obviously didn't put it like that, but they weren't real happy about it. And I couldn't blame them. So, I mean, this, sound, this, this sounds so familiar, but continue. Well, that's, that's the end of that part of the story. That, that, that's what, yeah, I, I eventually just made up my mind. I can't do it anymore. And, uh, I, I did have a couple, uh, clients i guess i hung on to for a little while that just you know they had an understanding uh they could they they could call or i could call them when i had time i think it was more or less what it was and they could go to drop of a hat but, yeah, it's amazing what what lakes were you uh specifically guiding uh in the in the height of all this it was mainly here around my home area uh for for years and years now when uh, I started, I, I started branching out probably in the, in the uh, late eighties, I'd poke, poke around a little bit. And then in the, in the mid nineties, I started poking around a little bit more. I did, I did some guiding in Minnesota and then uh, it was, it was about the time I didn't, take anybody at first they were mad at me over on leech lake and stuff that kind of funny days reminders of that and uh, they're like oh mina's guiding over here now you know the jerk and and then uh they ended up liking me because i was i didn't yeah i i was taking no new clients it wasn't like i was taking anymore so so then i got known to be guiding over there a little bit and then i was getting new people asking well can you guide me over there in leech lake so I, I was like no i can't and so i'd send them to the you know the walker guide service and then they started liking me a little bit more over there but uh and i i, I you know the once the peak of the tv stuff when i i had i had bass pro 
outdoor world going at one time, TV, and then we started the next bite, and I'm filming with Gillespie, and the, I was really getting all over the place then. I was, I was a little bit younger. I, I, I got to be honest, I don't like the really hard travel anymore. Running to Montreal all the time. I, you know, I filmed in in, in PA and in several shows there on Chautauqua, and you know, I've run around a lot. I, I, I had a ball on Lake St. Clair for like eight years when there was, I know there was a few people doing it, but I never saw them. It was interesting exploring St. Clair with nobody. I mean, everybody trolled them and, 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 and there was nobody hitting the, some of the shallow stuff, especially in those channel systems there. You could, you could drive for forever and never see a cast and musky guy. And uh, that was, that was really neat uh, for a while. And, and, uh, and I started doing, uh, I, I did three, three or four different Bass Pro Outdoor World shows there on St. Clair. And, and then, then, then I did as well the first year of the Next Bite TV. And, uh, and, and then you started, you know, you started seeing more of it, more of it then. But I, you know, I, I I know that a, I know that a couple of guys were uh, were doing it. Bob Brunner, but I never I never saw Bob, and uh, you know I never I never saw casters at all in the early years on St. Clair. Uh, the the Detroit River was the first place I saw him, and and uh, you know then then that started getting talked about, and and uh, you know obviously it's a totally different ball game now. There's great anglers all over St. Clair. Still catching a lot of big fish, too. Yes, they are. Now, we kind of glossed over, but you brought up a couple times, the the bait company. You said you started in 91? Yeah. Now, was that did you do the bait company out of, like, a necessity, or you just said, you know what, I got some great ideas. I'm going to go ahead and do this. How did, how did that get up and going? You know, that's kind of kind of interesting you brought that up because it's been a while since i even thought about that or told a story but i i've always been a big jerkbait fan eddie osling the guy that made the original eddie bait got out of my dad's resort years ago and and uh i always liked jerk baits and they were always wooden and plastic was out there in a few cases by then uh but nobody made a hard plastic jerk bait that was my favorite thing and i always felt like a jerk bait was the bait was most common for a muskie to actually clamp down on and get his teeth sunk in you wouldn't be able to set the hook and that was literally the only reason i i wanted to do it because nobody else had and it was what i like to do and i actually delayed the process like three four years because i priced a mold and i'm busy i got enough going on by now right and uh mm-hmm. And I, I priced a mold was like 30 grand. I'm like, well, no way in hell I'm going to do that. And, and I only looked at one source and then, uh, and then three years go by four, whatever the heck it was. And I'm like, man, I better, there's still nobody doing this. And, uh, and, and, and then I, you know, I shopped around a little bit and I, I, I think I got a quota 12 and I decided, okay, well, I'm going to do this. And, and then, uh, yeah, I just, Kind of, kind of started it on a wing. There, there again, not really all that much of a, 
of a plan. I, I, I can't say I've ever been a tremendous business planner, but I'd come up with ideas and eventually, you know, just kind of bowl my way through, figure out a way to do it. If, if I was too stupid to do it, find somebody who could do it for me and pay him or give him <laughs> part of the business or however it worked. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you, you like jerk baits. Yeah. I, you know, especially back then. I, yeah, I uh, yeah. was, it was always my favorite. Yeah. Cause you'd, to me, there's, there's still, you could argue with a lot of different lure types, but, but more so than any other lure type, I think it's a little bit artsy. You know, it's, it's, it's what you do to it. And, 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 and I think to a certain extent, I'm kind of spastic anyway, uh, you know, type A and I, you know, it gives you, it gives you something to do with the long hours waiting, you know. But would you, would you say that's, that's one of your face favorite, uh, baits to throw? Oh yeah, yeah, still is, still is to this day. Yeah, really enjoy yeah. it. So you grew up and you fell in love with a a, a, a jerk bait. That's how you like to fish. If you were given oh, one yeah. one lure, yeah, yeah, and and a lot of that's uh, you know here here we're talking about my career and you know how, how to a certain extent I you know I hate that I I, I try not to I don't hopefully. Nobody thinks I'm an egotistical person. I'm, I'm sure I gotta be. You'd never get into this damn musky business in the first place. But a lot of it was my idols all, all along the way. I mean, I uh, uh, Eddie Oslane, You know, when I was a kid, he was like the you know the good guy around. He made the Eddie bait. I mean, that was probably part of it too. Just that you know that kind of outlook, kind of idolizing him, and and then. Uh, the other thing I was blessed by, you know, I mentioned Gillespie and stuff, but man, what a lucky guy to be able to uh, to be able to befriend and and spend as much time as I did be- before I became a father and life got real complicated. But I, Dick Pearson and Doug Johnson, I mean, those guys were like, man, you know, they were my idols, and I got to get to know them and become tremendous friends with them and and spend weeks in the in the in the boat with them every year uh there for quite a few years and 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 learned a lot from them and you know they you know a lot of the different actually <laughs> first first musky uh pearson ever caught when we fished together was on a wade's wobbler jerk bait i can remember that yep. on lake of the woods so awesome was your first musky on a jerk bait me no it was on a bluegill i gotta be honest uh bluegill on a fishing off a dock (laughs) very nice i like that answer i don't that's usually one i don't hear (laughs) it's on a bluegill (laughs) yeah i'm on bluegill very nice have you ever heard of the piece of shit jerk baits we make <laughs> I take that as a no. Well, <laughs> I, I, I had not heard of the turd bait. No. <laughs> Uh, it's just cool. We there's there's a lot in common here in the bringing up and stuff, and we're we're jerk bait fishermen over here because of the structure, and uh, you know, just the efficiencies we, of it all. But that's hilarious. We love, we love yeah, we love 
we love jerk baiting as well. It's it's a oh, lot of fun. Yeah. It's almost like a dying art, I think. At least what's uh, put out there on the interwaves and stuff now. It, the jerk bait fishermen. It, to me, that's what I grew up how how I learned how to musky fish. But the jerk bait's kind of put on the wayside. If you would just like Google musky fish ink uh right now and it's it's kind of like uh, i feel like it's a dying art but it's it's so effective but it's such a working uh, a workman's bait you know you have to have a back for it and um and uh enjoy the suck you have to enjoy the suck for for yes for that that uh that triumph but you you have to fish it it's a bait that you really have to fish um to you know you you actually have to fish it it's not just a straight retrieve or just throwing something out there and giving it slow pulls it's something that uh you have to be efficient with and i you know we 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 still love to do that uh when i hand the clients it usually takes about an hour or two for them to say okay i'm done (laughs) (laughs) i'm done (laughs) well Pete, we've kept you about an hour, and I hate to hate to kind of cut this one off because we're having a blast here. Is there yeah, anything yeah. else you want to hit on before we let you have the rest of your evening? Can I ask you? One, I want to ask you a couple questions. Oh, jeez. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Just a couple. Yeah, because I couldn't think of anything anyway. So <laughs> okay. Else, you know. So go All ahead. Right. Yeah. All right, so you're a Packer fan? Not anymore. <laughs> Uh, no, I won't be watching the NFL at all, frankly. But uh, yeah, a few years ago when they were doing the, the flag kneeling there, now I uh, I used I to feel, be a Packer fan though. Okay, I feel, you. I feel you. Well, they're going to suck anyway because they're going to get rid of Rodgers. <laughs> um, they are they are getting rid of Rodgers. Oh, that's what I it's. Know, I mean, I they know. they draft a uh, you know you draft a first round quarterback. Oh. It's like far two point oh, but. Um, uh, Anyway, I, I hate the Packers. I enjoyed Green Bay, but um, I hated them when they beat the Steelers in Super Bowl forty five. Um, and but you're uh, you're set up there where you where you do the videos and you do the release videos and things like that. Uh, your garage um, that is kind of just like a, a shrine of of musky stuff. Just touch on that. How many musky baits do you got? got hanging there oh god yeah it's it really is kind of ridiculous and i i did do a major cleanup because one of the dogs got stuck in one and my wife oh no and she wasn't very happy with me and i had to i had to try and hang them all up higher which it's not easy because there's not much uh space left I, I you know i honestly don't know it's got to be a, a a couple thousand anyway i've got uh I've got a few others stored away in boxes and stuff like that. I've actually, I've got a few. They're they're full of smoke and dust and stuff. But I, I I've still got some of the original Burt lures and in packages. I I keep a handful of those. But uh, yeah, it's it, it's just kind of kind of neat, I guess, to to look at and kind of once in a while you just scan the wall and 
And, and and I gotta be honest, there's a few duds up there. I've never caught a damn thing on. I just like put them up on the wall of shame. And, you know, you don't want to throw them out for whatever stupid reason. I've I've thrown plenty of lures away, but I for some reason there's some you just they're unique or whatever. I got a little story in my head about it. And uh, yeah, there's a there's a lot of different baits there, and and the majority of them actually have uh, been been well involved in in warfare. There's quite a few stories behind some of them, and eventually you just retire them. But you know, there's a oh yeah, the, it's it's funny how uh, musky anglers are. I mean, I you know I I can't remember much of anything these days that's probably important. But you know, I can look at that wall and go, that son of a gun right there, <laughs> that was on this lake and. Mm-hmm. <laughs> southeast wind and yeah i remember that strike and uh, yeah it's uh it's kind of neat kind of neat it's really. neat how they trigger those memories and those feelings yeah i mean yeah. i have a i have a rack not quite like yours or anywhere near that but i look at some of this i'm like i could get rid of like all of this and still be just fine but i just can't i can't come to grips with doing it so they hang there collect oh. dust right all right, last question. You had one place to fish right now for your own uh, personal fun. What would you be doing? Where would it be? Hmm. That's really a hard one. Well, in a way, it's not, I guess. I, uh, I would be on uh, my dad's favorite lake with my dad. Uh, I been blessed to uh have a lot of time with that man and uh he we I, i've taken him quite a few places and it would be long-legged lake in ontario canada which is actually not a very easy lake to catch a muskie on uh i would i would rate the uh the muskie fishing i guess below a lot of places but it's uh to me it's more about uh, I could use St. Clair as an example. Uh, I have a love-hate relationship with that. That's, that's to me, the best musky fishery in North America. Uh, but it's it's big and flat and ugly and, and not necessarily a place I want to visit. So that's that's where where I'm at in life. And, again, it's nothing to do with anybody over, you know, I'm not mad at everybody in Detroit or anything like that. <laughs> Chicago, but, uh, Detroit, you know, Green me, Bay. How about Minneapolis? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> NFC Any North. Place, it's a city. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a country boy, and I, I enjoy the beauty. But I, I will lean these days especially more so than I than I used to. Uh, I would I would gladly take far lesser odds of actual fish catching and lower density if the place is a little – quieter and more enjoyable to me and and that particular lake is just uh you know just one that you know my dad fell in love with when i first started taking him there and uh and he has been lucky there the hit the three biggest muskie of his life three bigger fish than i've ever caught in that lake i've never caught a super monster in the lake but he does <laughs> but anyway uh yeah, it's it's weird how it is. He he spent probably five percent of the time throwing musky casts on that body of water compared to compared to me, and uh, and 
and he's caught uh, he's caught three forty pounders out of there. I've wow. a single one. Yeah, that's just dad logic. Uh, no one really knows what that is, but it happens. And right. Right. my uh, my final question: <laughs> Pink Hat, where, when, why, how? Oh, Pink Hat. Uh, that one's that one's fairly easy. Uh, in actually about. Five years into the Lake St. Clair adventure, maybe a few more, a guy by the name of Brian Schramm, who is still around, he was a, a, a rocker guy who messaged me. Well, I don't know if it's, I don't know how the hell we did it in those days. I think it was before Facebook, you know, Face Twitter, whatever the hell. I don't know. <laughs> but he, but he got a hold of me and he, he basically said, I, I, I I would love to catch a muskie and I think you're the greatest guy on earth. And he, and it was poor grammar and he was, but there was something I liked about it. And he, and, and, and I have always kind of been a rocker and it, I was going to blow it off. And then he's like, Oh yeah, yeah, that was, that was the big deal too. He's like, Oh, I got to send you a sample of my music. And anyway, I liked his, I liked his music. I listened to it and liked it. And I thought, Oh, had a relationship with him. He's the he's the guy with the pink hat. Actually, originally, they were like a pink fuzzy hat, and I started wearing it. And he he wore a little bit. We we did some shows together. Uh, gosh, I I think the next bite. I know one Mark Zona show. I think he was on the Gillespie show too. So we had a relationship for quite a while, and uh, but anyway, that. That's really where the pink hat came from, and I was I was wearing it actually to try and help his music career for a while, and I kind of got known for the thing. I think he quit wearing the damn thing, and then eventually uh, somebody gave me that pink fish hat, and I like that better because it's actually shaped like a fish with eyeballs. So that's what I've been wearing ever since. <laughs> that's a cool that's backstory. A- that's a great backstory. Yeah, yeah, it's a long one, but it's no, it's no. It, it was short and sweet. I mean, you you stole a guy's swagger. We completely <laughs> understand, right? Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, did there's it better. A, there's a poor, broken down musician. Actually, I don't, I, I don't know that he's poor or broken down, but he's yeah, somewhere. He's, he's crying because Pete Mana took his pink ass his signature move. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hilarious pete this has been a great great podcast i appreciate you taking time to uh give us a little bit of backstory on your life it, you know people are going to enjoy this one so you know i can't thank you enough um you know where can it where can they uh keep up with you at uh really the best uh, well first thank you uh i enjoyed the format guys and, and enjoyed the chatter Frankly, it's it's kind of fun to tell stories, mm-hmm. essentially, and give a little history. But uh, really, the the simplest thing with all these different social medias and and think, Lord knows where we're going. What's going to be the next hot social media, guys? We really don't know. But PeteMana.com is the simplest because that way everything's kind of there. You know, my I have a YouTube channel and uh, and the, and the Facebook and and stuff is all up there. So. 
Yeah, if you can if you can spell my name, that's M A I N A. People for years called me Mania, so I you know that's where the musky mania tackle came from and all that too. But PeteMania.com is the best place to go. I love it. Everyone, check that out, and uh, you know, big thanks to Fatty Z Musky Products, Muddy Creek Fishing Guides, Ranger Boats, Vicks Marine Sports Center, Saint Croix Rods, and Muskies Inc. With that, everyone, uh, thanks for joining us. Good luck fishing.